Welcome to Grab Life Big. Grab Life Big. The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us say, badass rich guys who do epic shit. And now, your host, Pat Hybin. If this is empty, this doesn't matter. I'm glad you were home. I'm always home. I'm on cool. Me too. You're doing great, man. Telling true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're on cool. Is it my advice to you? And I know you think these guys are your friends. If you want to be a true friend to them, be honest and unmerciful. Wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. All right, go bros. Got Mr. David Lover on the uh, Grab Life Big podcast today, and I'm excited to get into some details. David, welcome to Grab Life Big. Hey, how are you? Good, buddy. Hey, David, why don't you give everybody a, a little five-minute story on your life. Talk about the day you were born all the way up to today. Okay. Well, I was born in Colorado but moved to California before I can remember. I grew up in Silicon Valley, and so you know, I spent a lot of my time around tech. At the age of 19, I went to one year of college, and I didn't really like it. I found myself more interested in the social scene than actually worried about studying. And I came back from summer and I got a mortgage job and made 50 grand that summer. And it was like, life was changed. So I got right to work. I've been in the mortgage industry ever since and obviously done other things as well. But now I really have gotten into multiple different businesses. And, you know, I think mortgage was a, an entryway into entrepreneurship, but that's been kind of the background in work history. That's awesome. And, and then, so what do you do besides mortgage? Yeah, today, primarily what I work on is the real estate development company. And primarily what we're doing inside of that company is buying retail centers. And prior to buying it, we'll go retail such a damaged asset class right now. So you have like, uh, you lose a Sears or a Toys R Us or any of these other big boxes. There's nobody to come behind and fill it. So, you know, it's considered a damaged asset class. And once you lose those anchors, you can buy the, the centers for relatively inexpensive. And so what we're doing is we'll tie those up under contract. We'll find all the tenants ahead of time. We, we have some partnerships with Crunch Fitness and a couple of other different brands, and we'll make sure we can put everybody in, buy it, and then we put all the tenants in to bring the value back up. Do you, um, break, do you break up the anchor, or what's the strategy there? We're, the ideal center would be they lose a Sears or a Toys R Us. Let's say it's a 50,000-foot center, and they lose 25,000-foot tenants. It's not like the value of the property goes in half because they lost half the rent. It's like the value of the property goes down 70, 80% because the tenant, the center just all of a sudden has a dead feel because you're missing the anchor. And so, and you can't really sell the building without the bank. Our banks don't want to finance it. You know, it's just, it's a problem. So what we'll do is 
fill the 25,000 foot vacancy. And the space isn't always perfect. So we need, sometimes we need to put a couple concepts in, but the easiest way would be to put just one gym in to fill the 25,000 feet. Yeah. Interesting. All right, cool. So then what do you do? Do you hold them or do you flip them? Yeah, right now we've held everything in that portfolio. The, I mean, they cash flow like crazy. You've got 10 year leases, you've got triple net tenants. So, you know, assuming you believe in the businesses in the centers compared to, to go backwards, I still own quite a few apartment doors. I, I, I do residential flipping and then I also own a, you know, a residential mortgage company. And, but like, the management of apartment houses versus say 10 year leases with businesses is significant. And so, you know, in my current position, I'm focused on how do I grow cash flow with as little work or time or energy as possible. And so, you know, ideally, like if I were to buy one and sell it and make a couple million bucks and then pay tax and be left with a million bucks, I'd rather take a 30 grand cash flow. So, you know, it's, I'm really more about building the equity at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. All right, so let's get into some nitty-gritty on your one sheet. What percentage are you? Right now, the second a bank loan goes through next month, I'll be 170%. Okay. And um, what what do you mean, the second a bank loan? What's that about? I One of my most recent two retail centers, I have private money on them. So once the bank loan goes through, then mm. my cash flow goes up 30 grand a month. Got it. Oh, that's cool. And so what do you spend personally? It's kind of tricky. I mean, I spend a lot of money traveling and eating out, probably 20, 30 grand a month. Uh, but a lot of it's related to business. If you look at like what I actually pay with after tax dollars, it's about five grand a month. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the same trick for all of us, especially when you own multiple businesses, right? And you can, you can t- literally one dinner could be, you could talk about three of your businesses, right? You could get, you can get an investor for a syndication. You could be doing a mortgage loan and you could, you know, be getting rid of one of your properties or finding a tenant for it, you know what I mean? So yeah, it all ties together. I get it. So, but, but so really, if it was 5,000 a month, all you would need is 5,000 in passive income to make, to become a hundred percenter, right? So, so I guess the, the, the question is what number are you basing this 170 on? So the way I think about it is let's say tomorrow I wanted to stop working and truly rely on my passive assets. And, and, and this is up for debate. I'm sure other people would disagree with this thinking, but the, like, I had an Airbnb portfolio for a while and it was such a headache and so much work. Like, at one point I counted that against my passive income, but now I just don't. Like, I, I, I like, I really look at it as like, if tomorrow I wanted to go fly to Thailand and turn my phone off, like, what money is coming in that I don't have to take a phone call about? And then also, you know, even though I have lifestyle that's paid for out of the businesses today, let's say I closed all the businesses and I just wanted my passive assets. Like, you know, I have a 30 grand a month lifestyle of traveling and taking people out for dinners and doing all these different things, which I could probably parse down if I wasn't working. But so, you know, I look at, I go through my business expenses and say, which of these are say, you know, travel and eating out and kind of fun stuff that like, it is a business expense, but I would consider it more personal. So my, I consider my hundred percent or number 300 grand. Okay. Well, there we go. Right. So, that's really 25 grand a month. So that's right. That's awesome. So, yeah. So here's the thing. Like, I think a lot of people do that same bullshit, right? They, they, they don't really think about what would happen if they shut everything off and what would actually be coming through because we invest in so much stuff that's even if it's considered passive, like you can get a pro forma that's showing you you're going to make 15% cash on cash or whatever. 
But in the first couple of years, right, that doesn't happen. And sometimes these companies, then they, they, they'll give you a K1 that says they made 50 grand, but you really only got 20 grand cash flow, right? Cause they put the other 30 back into the company or whatever, or, you know, and, and so we really never boil it down to what are our exact, you know, credits that we get in the bank account that are paying us that we could do whatever the hell we want with it. Am I making sense? No, I'm with you 100%. Like, I, I, I've gotten into these apartment deals where you're going in and trying to rejigger and you do all the math and it's supposed to be 20% return or 15% cash on cash. And you're right. Like, for the first year and then even once you're in it, like, if you have one tenant leave or do, there's always like these little things that happen and, and it's like the, the distributions are never what you think. And so, you know, that's why I've been so attracted to this retail center concept is because once you have your 10 year lease in, and it's triple net, so they own all the bills, right? So there's really no, it's just literally, I'm looking at like what comes in my mailbox every single month or what gets, you know, wired into my bank account. That's that I, I know I'm not going to have to do any work about. Yeah. Yeah. And you can rely on it's consistent, right? No. Okay. All right. So let's see what else. Okay. So let's talk about your health. How much you weigh? About 180 pounds. And what's your body fat? I haven't had it measured in quite some time. Okay. So what do you like? Which, what type of exercise do you do? I work out consistently five to six times a week. I have a trainer set for two days a week, especially early in the year. I, I found a lot of excuses not to go the last couple of months. You know, through some accountability, I've shown up more. And then I try to get to one yoga or cardio class a week. So a couple of times myself at the gym, a couple of times in classes or trainer format. Okay. And, and diet? Diet right now is pretty good. I track, did I have a good diet day? I'm usually about four days a week that I eat well. You track, what do you use to track? My fitness pal. Okay. I put my food in as I go. And then talk about, you've got, you've got three houses now, right? Three primary residents, right? Yeah, San Diego, San Francisco, and San Jose. And what are those? So San Jose is the first house I bought. Inside of that house, I have a, uh, like a guest house. And so the renter in that guest house, because I bought it so long ago, the mortgage is so little, pretty much pays the mortgage. San Diego, I bought a couple years as a vacation home slash Airbnb. It does very, very good Airbnb rent. So that thing cash flows pretty significantly. It did something like 220000 in gross rents. And my costs on it was something like 80000 But What's that's it worth? Fair. Bought it for one point six. Oh, I wonder. Okay, 220 Yeah, that's good. I mean, and, and you don't manage that, right? Where do you pay 25% to manage that? Yeah, 15%. Okay. And then how do you decide like where you're going to stay this week? Yeah, it's kind of been a moving target. You know, when I first started this thing of splitting time between San Diego and San Francisco, I was like thinking it was this good idea. And then I started noticing like <laughs> I'd see a friend's birthday party on Instagram and I wouldn't get an invite. And it was like, hey, what's up, man? They're like, oh, I just thought you were traveling. So it's it's definitely been an experience kind of creating balance with this flexible travel a lot. Well, why'd, why'd you do it? Like what motivated you to do it? Well, I just grew up in San Jose and I never lived away from home. And I, I just thought that, you know, spending some time in San Diego, is kind of like a sort of, I don't want to say a retirement dream, but sort of that, like a change of lifestyle. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I went down there and I love it down there. The beach is amazing. It's, it's a great place, but you know, at San Diego, happy hour starts at three and I, I definitely find myself craving some time in San Francisco where people are hustling and grinding and building new startup app, you know, apps. Like I certainly get enjoyment around being around that scene, but also I do like the beach scene and, you know, I, I like both. And, and where's your mortgage company? San Jose. Okay. 
And so like how, what would you say your, your efforts are on the mortgage company? How many hours you, you, David involved? Are you, yeah, you- I think, yeah, that was a big shift this year or towards the end of last year is the mortgage company has dwindled down to 15 or 20% of my income, but it's still, you know, it's still 500 K plus in terms of profit, but mm-hmm. it's only 15 or 20% of my income. Right. So it's like I was spending 60, 70% of my time on it. So what I'll do is I come in on Mondays and Tuesdays and I do all my set meetings, which does include all the companies. So I'll do accounting meetings, uh, sales meetings, leadership meetings, kind of go through and sort out everything. And then on Wednesday, I'm kind of, I feel like I've like earned my right to kind of do whatever I want. And so sometimes that's work or travel or go look at new projects or whatever that's like fun stuff. But the, uh, the mortgage company, I probably spend five to 10 hours a week on it. Okay. All right, and that so that would be your vertical, right? So your vertical is like a half a mil. Yeah, I still consider the development company vertical. Working like property. on per deal, yeah. Right, property flipping. Flipping, yeah. yeah. Tell me about the flipping. Like how much? How much are you making with flipping? Yeah, so the the flipping started six years ago, and my biggest year was 2017. I did just over two million dollars in that business. And now we've shifted from trying to make it vertical. Like I don't want to go buy a retail center and sell it for 2 million because then you have all these yeah. tax problems and all these issues. So that's also part of how we shifted from buying and flipping single families to we started doing apartments and then I realized apartments are kind of a pain to manage. So then that's where we got into the retail center. So <laughs> I really want to buy a building for 2 million, put a million or two into it. Let's say it's worth six or seven. Instead of selling it, I want to take a $4 million bank loan on the cash flow and go pick up an annuity and then move on to the next project. I don't really care about adding vertical income. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. So, so where are these shopping centers? Uh, Sacramento, Fresno okay. and San Antonio. Sacramento, Fresno and San Antonio. Yeah. We are looking at, you, you know, what the issue is right now, the businesses we have, I picked businesses that I think are recession proof are the crunch fitnesses that we build. They're the value model. So there's a really nice gym. It's nine bucks a month. Our, place in the world is to compete with Planet Fitness and be a better gym. But the I think that when the market breaks your $180 a month yoga, your $30 a session soul cycle, I think someone loses a job, you know, that's an expense that gets cut. But $9 gym, I, I think will make it. And so it was I've been very intentional because I do believe we're heading into a break to make sure that my tenants I'm putting in there, I'm not going to do a luxury hair salon or something that I think will struggle in a market break. And so, but because it's a value model, business concept there's limitations on what it can afford rent wise and so we've had to pick markets that are just cheaper you know and so that's why we're in those markets today i'm sort of hoping that what happens with the market break is that for the same price per foot once those prices go down i can get into better markets i'd love love to do austin i'd love to do portland i'd love to do san diego like so there's a lot of other places that are great that are just a little too expensive right now why are you calling for a market break like what indicators are you looking at I'm not an economist and I'm not very well educated. I, I will say that I got in the mortgage business in 2005 and I could just feel, I, 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 it just felt wrong. Like it was like these, these prices are too high. The offers are too crazy. Something's wrong. And then fast forward to say 2010, I remember I was like, something's wrong. Like we're, we're definitely like, this is too low. Like everything's bottomed out. I, I was freaked out and thought I had to like buy houses right away and I was going to miss the window. Obviously I think. When you're in it and you're doing it, you feel it ahead of the rest of the world. Yeah. And I can say that for sure, my gut feel on, we're already seeing prices soften in San Francisco down about 8%. Uh, 
uh, the affordability index is in line with every other previous recession dating back to the early 90s. There's, and I like affordability index as an indicator. Um, it all feels wrong. And then you're starting to hear really smart people like Ray Dalio come out on these podcasts and say, you know, we're probably in the eighth inning of a nine inning game. And I haven't heard one like, you know, most of these really smart market guys are all like, yeah, we're at the top. It just feels that way. So I don't know when it's going to happen or what it'll cause it, but it does feel like it's coming. What, what, do, you, what do you have to say to people that say, because there's a lot of guys, I had one on my show earlier this morning, um, who are like, you know, San Francisco or pretty much all the big cities in California, New York, you know, some of these major cities, right, always have their peaks and valleys. And most of America is a linear market where it's just straight, right? You got all these areas like Dayton, Ohio, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whatever. They're just linear and that they're not going to be affected at all by any any sort of downturn. What, what do you have to say to them? You know, it's market by market, but, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I, because I, I wrote loans, right? So we did all the appraisals and we're in 40 some states. So, you know, most of our businesses in California and Texas and some of these other sort of focused geographies, Florida, but like, I don't know, Florida got destroyed at uh, Austin. I mean, if you started buying stuff in Austin in 2008 to 2010, I mean, things went way down there. Not just big cities in California, you go out to the Fresnos and Lake Counties and anything else. Uh, Arizona got crushed. Vegas got crushed. I guess maybe I just haven't been drawn to underwrite, you know, Dayton, Ohio. I, I haven't seen a market that didn't get crushed. And a lot of times I hear people talking about their home market. Well, we didn't get beat up too bad. But then you go look at median home price and you did. You went down 30 or 40 percent or, you know, mm. some number. So I think sometimes say, people say it from gut feel more than actually looking at the data. Yeah. And also those same people have something to sell in those areas usually too. You know what I mean? Like they're promoting those areas because they do flips or they do the turnkey rentals or they do, you know what I mean? Or they, they have personal property in that area that, that they're renting out, you know, and my, and my, my perception of that too is what people don't understand is when markets shift, things become more difficult to sell. So suddenly real estate becomes much more illiquid, undesirable, right? So, and, and, and so that, that affects how people value it, right? And, and, uh, it's, am I making sense by bringing this up? No, a hundred percent. Like it's usually people who are in real estate or, or any type of entrepreneurship usually have this like unwavering confidence. And that's part of why they're good salespeople where they almost get overly optimistic about things, fight through cold calls, whatever it takes to get the job done. And so it's like, yeah, I remember in 2007, people, when I would say, geez, this feels like the lending's a bit much, all the salespeople would go, it's Silicon Valley, you'll never go down in San Francisco. And then you go to 2010 when you couldn't trade assets in San Francisco. And people were like, oh, real estate's the worst. I would never invest in it. So actually, the more like over-optimism I hear, like the more I know, like we're towards the end. And, and I remember in 2010, especially, you would have to, the stuff that would sell was the stuff that was like, fixed up and 10% below everything else. Like it was not easy to sell a home back then. And that, you can't ignore that that was a real part of life then. Yeah. And if you have a hiccup personally and you need to sell, it's going to pull you under. It's like an undertow, right? It's going to pull you. It could pull you under personally, especially if you're wrapped up in those markets. You know what I mean? Because it just, the stuff just becomes unsaleable. I mean, there's markets, those, those linear markets in a bad market, 
could have an average time on the market of like two years to sell a house. You know, it's not like it is now where there's a million investors that are willing to buy a $110,000 house and rent it out for a thousand a month. You know, they're, they're, all those people exist today. And, you know, five years from now, they could be all gone and investing in who knows what else, you know, or conserving their money or getting 4% from the bank. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think you can look at the numbers and see we're probably, it's by any indicator, stocks, real estate, we're, we're probably towards the top of valuation. I mean, maybe it doesn't break anytime soon or maybe there's different markets, but I don't think it's terrible to hold some asset allocation in cash right now, tighten up your portfolio, anything that's not a great, like that you don't love, that isn't really well positioned with, you know, low leverage. If it's a hard decision, probably sell it, probably lean towards cash. I, I wouldn't, you know, if someone told me they're 30 or 40% in cash right now, I would be thinking they're pretty smart. Yeah. The wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. All right, so let's talk about contribution. Like, uh, how do you give back? So contribution's a hard one for me right now. You know, it's like I've spent so much time focused on, you know, building the business and part of building business is being fiscally tight and, you know, keeping an eye on the dollars. A couple of years ago, I started focusing on contributions. So from my companies, I allocate a certain percentage of our net sales to different causes. And when something touches me, I just donate money, you know, in most of my contributions in donating dollars. But, you know, sometimes you just write a check for something and it doesn't, it doesn't like give you that, like, I really contributed. It's just like another check I wrote, you know? I think some of the better contributions I've had, like going to these one life events and bidding on stuff and seeing how it impacts people, that's, that's been something that's been powerful for me. Some of my employees actually all vote on the cause that gets the dollars that month. And sometimes there'll be an employee who shares a touching story. So that's really nice. I do. It's on my radar. I want to like find some charity that I'm passionate about that I'm physically involved in. But like the, the other part of it for me that I think about a lot is like, okay, if you put me in a charity where we're helping build a house, kind of like we've done on these international trips, it's not that I'm not going to be helpful, but I'm not a carpenter. Like, my contribution while I'm putting time in is kind of like, I'm just so mediocre at the task, right? So, like, if there was some way for me to use my skills of, like, acquiring property, putting rehabbing it, and maybe doing a total pro bono for charity housing development where I'm, like, really affecting a community and my skills are used and it's something that I'm like, man, nobody else would have done that. Maybe not exactly that, but that's the type of thing I have my eyes and ears open for. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what what would you say your top three highs of this year are so far? So I had a uh, great uncle pass away at the end of last year, and it kind of hit me that, like, you know, like my parents are getting older, you know, because the uncle was the same age as them. So um, we did this thing where we started doing dinner every Monday night. I'm like, even when I'm on the road, like, I'm like, flying back and making making time to do that and it's i can already notice the difference in our relationship mm. so that's a big one i think so we actually built the first retail center so i, I had retail centers before i had the tenants in tow and then the crunch thing was if the problem in this market is that you can't get a twenty-five thousand foot tenant what is the twenty-five thousand foot tenant that is still viable today that's amazon proof and so something like jim or somebody shows up and it's physical it's going to be hard for Amazon to beat that because 
it's like going to a sporting event. I know there's online ways to exercise and you can watch sporting events on TV, but it's different going live and it's different going to a gym live. So I think there's some real value for that. And health is a growing sector because there's just more, more data and information. So to like take this damaged asset class, try and figure out a way to work inside of it and make money and then have this vision that, you know, was outside of my comfort zone a bit because I'm not really a health and fitness guy. It's you're entering into something risky. It's definitely we're getting into large transactions. So to one, find the franchisee and learn the business and actually execute getting into the building and then bring my investor groups along and see it open. So our first club open with near 5,000 members. It's like, ooh, so total home run. Like the gym will make a million bucks a year. And I, oh, by the way, I do get ownership in the gym a pretty good amount. So it's, uh, so let, let me talk to you about that. Um, because it's fascinating. So, okay. So crunch fitness, right? It's a franchise. Yeah. Correct. And they have people that have raised their hand that said, you know, I, I might buy Crunch Fitness, right? I'm interested. Right. They might not necessarily be out there aggressively looking at shopping centers with a broker, right? Because if they were, they would have already, they already know about you or they, they can go to many different shopping centers, right? So, so how are you crossing that line? Like, how are you like saying, come here, we're going to outcompete all the other shopping centers that you could go to? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So the, I first went into a crunch because they opened in PB. The group that owns that one owns eight other ones. I bought some ownership in that. But the uh, they, I walked into the gym, and it was the best gym in PB, and it's nine bucks a month. And I'm like, how in the world did these guys make money when their competitors are all 40 bucks a month and, you know, whatever? So how do they do a nicer product at such a cheaper price? And so I met with them and figured out their business model. And basically... Uh, how do they do it? Yeah, they, they just charge per class or, or what? It's just they have so many members. Like, it's so clear that, like, it's the way better value that just enough people sign up. But part of it's putting the gym in areas that are pretty dense population-wise so that okay. they can they can get their five or six or 7,000 members that make the gym profitable. Okay. But there are some upsells. Like, some people sign up for personal training and buy drinks and, you know, there's other stuff, right? Yeah. But it's it's a, it's a game of member counts. So we... We, I met with them and basically the challenge is opening a gym costs a million to a million five. And, you know, most landlords are not going to give you a million five TI budget. Like, it, especially for like a gym use, which if you lose your tenant, like those dollars are wasted. Especially if you're the landlord. <laughs> you're the landlord, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, so it's like, you know, so the, now they're out raising investor money and, you know, raising a million, million five to open this club. They give up you know, half the equity for the gym, their investor gets half and, you know, they go rent a space. I'm like, well, let me tie this into my fix and flip business and say, okay, I go find this shell that's been decreased so much in price because they lost their anchor. The cost to build it is pretty cheap. And then like in price per foot. So I'll give you an example. Let's say a fully occupied retail center on a cap rate is worth $200 a foot. If you buy it missing the anchor, you can buy it at say 50 to 70 a foot. And it costs say, 40 a foot to put the gym in. So you're into it about 100 to $120 a foot and it's worth 200 when it's done. So from a flip standpoint, the numbers line up and it pencils to put up the money to put the tenant in. And so when I go to these guys and say, hey, you put up no dollars, I'll manage construction. By the way, they, they hate managing construction and I'm just going to hand you the keys to an open gym. And by the way, I'm going to take some equity in the gym. You don't have to worry about raising cash and we can expand like crazy. These operators are like, this is a dream. Company. Of course, right? Cause, cause most of them are beginners. You know, that's why they're with a franchise anyways, right? That's why they don't have, 
Lover Jim. So so you're 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 paying the TI, right? You're creating it to their model the way they want it. And then what percentage are you taking? Uh, the gym, 30 to 40, depending on the situation. 30 to 40%. But then and they then, pay market rent. So you're getting rent plus, plus right. profit. Right. Huh. That's a pretty good deal. I was thinking almost you weren't charging them rent because I know Whole Foods does that in, in some of these areas that they are, you know, trying to gentrify. Basically, they'll come in with free rent and just charge a percentage of the profit. Uh, you know, just to get it, just to, just because the neighborhood or the area wants them in there. You know what I mean? So that's interesting. So, okay, cool. Yeah. They could go to a normal landlord who maybe gives them a third of their TIs. Then they got to worry about raising all this money. And it's like, it's a pain, right? And then they got to manage construction. Whereas with this, they don't manage construction. They're, I know what they want for sites and we just go. And now, now with that thinking, we found some good sites where there was maybe a little too much open square footage where the, the gym didn't need it all. So now I'm like constantly, like when I meet a new business owner who's in the franchise game, I'm always like trying to learn the mechanics of that business because I'm always looking for concepts now that like I can just have in my pocket that I know I can just throw into these buildings as I buy them. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And obviously you got to have a lot of faith in crunch fitness. That, okay. So that's part of another part of why I wanted to be part owner in the business. So. The guys that I partner with, they're great guys, super good business partners, high integrity, work their tails off, and they own eight already. So I didn't want to get some baby franchisee who's never done it before. I, I wanted to see some scars. So the, the ones, these are the ones that are in the other three. Correct. And I'm, everyone I'm buying, we're just transplanting our only with these guys. Their, um. Only with these guys. It's not that I wouldn't talk to another franchisee owner. It's just that these guys, we've built the working relationship. But on the first gym, you know, I had to bring in quite a bit of resources from my other companies to, as part of the pre-sale. And, you know, and, and now some of the stuff that I brought to the table on the lo one location, they're calling me like, can we bring all this stuff to our other location? So it's, you know, I'm pretty vested in making sure the business is successful right now. But once, like, we've gotten our digital down to where we can add customers for 30 bucks a piece. And with, once you can get enough customers, the gym makes money. And so, it's, I've got the gym business enough down to where I feel very comfortable behind Crunch Fitness. I love the $9 a month concept. I'm in Silicon Valley, so I know about pretty much every new tech or health startup that's coming here. And, and I don't see any major technology coming that's going dis to displace Big Box Fitness. That's pretty cool, man. That's pretty cool. Okay. So let's talk about some uh, bucket list items. Like, what would you say David's five greatest hits? If you had to look back on your life, how old are you now? 34. Okay, so 34, last 34 years. What are five moments in your life that you say, man, that, that, that was an awesome moment? What are your five greatest hits? Yeah, most of my, uh, most of my stuff relates around people and travel. Like, not, not to plug abundance, but seriously, those international trips are like some of my greatest memories. I mean, there's <laughs> just so much fun. You meet all these people. It, it really is a cool combination of exploration, friendship, business building. It, it, it circles the wagon on a lot of things that I've done. Money-wise, uh, the first time I had a million dollars in my bank, there was just something about that. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it just changed everything. Uh, family, I think uh, I, I started spending a lot more time with family, so seeing extended family once a quarter, and then, or I'm sorry, once a month, and then also I, I send every one of my family members personal gifts every month, so that's for their birthdays. And so 
I, uh, that's been a really like rewarding thing. It's created a lot of culture inside the family. And, and so the, you spend time obviously saying, what would be a cool gift for this person? And then you send it to them. That's right. Okay. I also had a family member as part of this, you know, her husband died and there was a lot of problems that she had that, you know, I ended up helping her in a lot of different ways, lent her quite a bit of money and he came out the other end. And you can imagine somebody, you know, just going through that and to be there. Like I felt really good being able to be this like rock and this person that could help with the family. And, and, you know, it's just, it, it meant a lot to me to be able to do that. To be, you know, patriarchal almost, you know, to be the guy, you know, at the end of the day, you're 34, but at the same time, you know, if you've got the most money and you were in, in, in essence, a, a patriarch, you know, in some sense, right? Cause you're the one being able to chip in and help out. That's right. And, and, and I realized like I'm starting to get old enough where like the torch will eventually be passed. And, you mm-hmm. know, this stuff where I was playing small inside of the family and just letting other people handle it at some point, it's going to come into my court, you know? How many siblings do you have? I have an older brother, but he's, uh, he's got some personal challenges with drugs, so he's not very much in the picture. Okay. It's not a very touchy t- topic. It's just that th- those, those responsibilities aren't going to fall to him. Got it. <laughs> got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah every, every family. Yeah, how's that? So, all right, cool. So, what about future greatest hits? Where do you want to, you know, what do you want the five next greatest hits to be for David Lover's life? Well, you know, I've been in abundance now four years, and like, I, you know, I almost I think I need to write a new bucket list because it's like I'll write this list that I think I'll never finish, and then all of a sudden I wake up and it's like, you know, <laughs> I've done everything on the list, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and, and I think that's actually. I just started a people I want to meet list, mm. and I've got some pretty big names on there. Who's so, on there? Uh, I got Tony Robbins, and not like go to Savannah. I want to like have not like pay and, and and get a photo with him shaking your hand and smiling. Next, next, next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to have coffee uh, with him. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not. I'm fiscally. Or I mean, politically, I'm more, uh, you know, conservative. But Obama, I just think he's the most presidential. Of president like to be able to spend 20 minutes talking to that guy would be out of this world yeah um, the list goes on so i've got this list rolling so that's great uh, that's awesome i saw a guy speak once I, I can't remember his name it was it was years ago but he actually created that list and he showed it on the uh, on the screen and then he actually showed pictures of him actually meeting these people and doing these things he had like oprah and like you know several people uh on there it was pretty cool to 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 watch that speech what where do you want to go what places do you want to go man i've been to a lot of the places i want to go i think there's some revisits in order um places that i maybe i went to and wouldn't mind going back to but i on my list i've I've never been to a live olympics so that would be really fun i wanted to live overseas for a year that would be very interesting and play in a world series of poker that's on the list but yeah, no, a lot of, man, I've been around a lot of places, you know, so it's more like events or things I want to do, you know. Have you been to Australia? I have. Yeah. That was, uh, Australia is a revisit because we did it after we were in India for 20 days for a wedding and got to Australia for a week and it was like. Jeez, 20 days for a wedding, huh? That was a long ass wedding. Have you ever been to an Indian wedding? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I may have an opportunity to go to, to India in, in November of this year. So I've never been to India though, but someone else was telling me about an Indian wedding. Literally yesterday, they go, "I may go to India for a wedding." What's the deal? Would they just last forever? 
it's like there's <clears throat> actually India made me appreciate weddings way more than America. I mean, I love weddings here. I think it's a great celebration for people's lives. But the uh, in India, I mean, the pageantry, they have like two days of this like, you know, person there doing all these uh, prayers and blessings. You have all of the family there. Everyone comes and hangs out. Like the wedding day, they come in on elephants. And it's like, <laughs> I, it's like, a, it's such a commitment. Like, it's like, I think it makes it real. It's like, this isn't some afternoon party. Like, this yeah, family right. is combining with this family. And this is like a commitment. Like, it's it's happening. You know, I, I just, it's it's a much bigger thing there. Yeah, we're looking at Australia for 2020 for GoBundance International. I'll, I'll put my deposit in now. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually looking, and I got an email today. I haven't even opened it up. I'm looking at like um, music festivals or just like festivals, like party festivals or rock concerts, you, you know, things like that that have, that are like events that are happening that will, will seem coincidental to happen while we're there, but strategically, you know, this early in advance, we can place them, you know? Yeah, that, I think that's an amazing idea because it's always like the event, the things, the experiences. Right, yeah. I, so. I still think one of my favorite memories of all time is those motorbikes across Vietnam. <laughs> so cool. Well, the cool thing is we'll, we'll do that in Australia for sure. You know, that's an easy thing you can do in Australia. I've already got that on the list. You know, there's, there's, we can basically repeat that, but in Australia. So, can you manufacture, can you manufacture bees hitting us? <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, that was weird, man. And I got stung too. Did you get stung? I did not. Get I got stung. stung like three times. I'm like, what is this? What's going on? And then everyone pulled over and they're like, did anyone else? What was that we just drove through? Can you manufacture Maddie A flying off of his and landing in a ditch? <laughs> Not getting hurt? <laughs> Prashant got his leg too. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. I don't know if it'll be as manic as, um, as, as riding it in Vietnam and going from a highway, you know, with all these crazy trucks on them with chickens on the back to a, one lane path that's considered a road into a village, you know. <laughs> I think Australia is a little more civilized, but but it'll still be fun. Cool, man. All right, buddy. Well, listen, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your one sheet there. I'm going to put all of David's information, guys, in the show notes. If you want to reach out to him, you want to follow him on social media, that sort of thing, I'll all be on there. David, I appreciate you coming on the show today and introducing yourself to the tribe. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, just in closing, the the impact abundance has had on my life. In obviously, all the adventures are so incredible, and like it, it makes memories with really high level people that just you know, just the best. It's also really changed my view on like really taking care of my body, taking care of my family, taking care of just more than just the money pillars, and it's it's just this tribe means the world to me. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks, and hey. You know, you're a good idea guy. So if you have any ideas of future trips or future things like that, you know, anything, even if it's like a 48 hour trip, I'm very open minded. Just keep in touch and let me know. Hey, here's an idea, that sort of thing. We might be able to set it up. I got a few things in mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll hear. Can you say them on the show or do you want to email me? I'll put it together. All right, boss. Well, thanks. Good catching up with you, man. See, see, appreciate the time. In life, to be honest, I failed 
as much as I've succeeded. But I love my wife. I love my life. And I wish you my kind of success. Don't step to me, don't step to me, bitch. Now you can.